Welcome to Nicosia and Cut. More carrots than sticks and definitely no sanctions during the latest EU Council on Turkey, as well as a return of the US into the game. Talking about the US, we discussed how the new American foreign policy is shaping up globally and in the region. And while there is not much room for optimism for the upcoming 5 plus 1 conference on the Cyprus problem, at least there are finally some hopeful news on the island. Welcome to Nicosia and Kat. In the aftermath of another EU Council that uh, dealt with the issue of Turkey. How are you, Kemal? Thank you, thank you, Androma. Here I'm. I'm just fine. I'm trying to keep up with the developments. How are things on the other side of the world? <laughs> things are fine. There was um, a reduced amount of uh, interest in uh, the EU Council that took place on the 25th of of March, especially when compared to the hype that dominated the domestic sphere um, in the previous summits. I think that this is understandable because in the previous summits, uh, the Republic of Cyprus government was promising uh, sanctions against Turkey, and this was not the case in this summit. So, as it was expected, the the summit itself did not uh, have a lot of uh, interest. So, let's just uh, give a bit of uh, of a context for our listeners. The EU Council took place on the 25th of March. EU Council is the room in which uh, all the EU leaders meet. This was a virtual meeting this time. And uh, the the topic of discussion, or rather one of the topics of discussion, uh, was the issue of EU-Turkish relations. If you remember, we had dealt with the issue before on this podcast. In the um, EU summit in in December, uh, there was once again an expectation for sanctions against Turkey, uh, sanctions that were postponed uh, for March, or rather decisions were postponed for March. Now that March came, the issue of sanctions is slowly phased out. Uh, it is not totally phased out, but it appears clear that sanctions are no longer on the table, or at least they are no longer um, on the table in the same way that the Republic of Cyprus government had been promising uh, the domestic public uh, in the past. From the joined the uh, announcement of the EU leaders on during after the EU Council. Basically, what we call a stick and carrot approach was followed, even though the carrots are more visible than the sticks in this statement. And it is clear that the EU chose a more uh, reconciliatory approach towards Turkey, even though uh, the summit took place in the aftermath of Turkey's decision to withdraw itself from the International Convention of Istanbul, which uh, deals with the rights of women. So basically, what came out of it was uh, the understanding that uh, the European Union is ready to engage with uh, Turkey um, in a phased, proportionate and reversible manner. And reversible is, is important here because basically the EU is saying that its positive engagement w- with Turkey will depend on uh, Turkey continuing its de-escalation uh, in the Eastern Mediterranean and in its relations with Greece and uh, the Republic of Cyprus. In the statement, there was a talk of a greater engagement on the issues of uh, economic cooperation, of uh, customs union, and the recommencement of high-level dialogues with Turkey on the issue of public health, climate, and uh, other regional issues. 
It is important to mention here that the Republic of Cyprus uh, showed a much stronger statement on Turkey than the one that uh, finally emerged. And we know this because the amendments of the Republic of Cyprus to the initial draft of the joint statement were leaked. And in those uh, amendments that we saw, it was clear that the Republic of Cyprus was asking for much more than what it eventually got. In total, we can say that the Republic of Cyprus managed to get um, a stronger statement on the issue of the Cyprus problem and on the commitment of the European Union towards the 5 plus 1 uh, informal summit that will take place in April. The, the part on uh, the Cyprus problem and the expectations on behalf of Turkey was indeed stronger. But all the rest that the Republic of Cyprus asked for, like a more clearer mention of illegal drilling activities in the Cyprus exclusive economic zone, a much clearer uh, mention of uh, of Turkey's need to keep the migrant uh, flows on the island uh, were evidently rejected. And the only other thing that the Republic of Cyprus got was um, a stronger uh, mention of uh, the necessity for Turkey to comply with the rule of law. Uh, so this is the the outcome of the uh, summit in a nutshell. The Republic of Cyprus came out and said that they were pleased, but the government spokesperson said that they were surprised at the effort that was needed for them to take these results. And this mention was uh, an attempt by the government to basically put the blame on its uh, partners in the EU for the weak statement when compared to what the domestic public was expecting. At the same time, Turkey came out with, for the standards of Turkey, that it usually uh, blasts against uh, the statements by the European Council. It was a lower key statement in which they, they did praise the reconciliatory tone of the European Union. But of course, they said that uh, still, the European Union seemed to be swept by what Turkey calls the Greek Greek Cypriot duo. But indeed, it, it was clear that Turkey did not want to cause any further trouble after the European Council. So this is what happened in a nutshell in the summit, a summit that took place with the participation of uh, the US President, uh, Joe Biden. How do you view things, Kemal? I know you followed uh, the development. So what's your view on this? I'm happy that you actually covered uh, Turkey's reaction to the summit result. I was smiling when you were explaining it. You covered it very, very well, I think. But I was smiling because uh, we as Turkish Cypriots uh, covered that uh, area of being hawkish regarding the, the results while Turkey expressed uh, uh, let's say that they're 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 happy. Okay, not very happy, but at least uh, they they found it reasonable the results. Uh, both uh, Mr. Tatar and our foreign ministry, who's uh, known to be a very hawkish uh, ministry, especially with the current uh, person in charge, they blasted the EU. And what is this expression? Holier than Pope. And uh, you know when we read when we read those statements, like you understand how far away from realities we are in in the north uh, after uh, Mr. Akinji left the office. Before there was a clash between the coalition uh, partners, 
and uh, Mr. Akinji. Now they're singing the same tune. In fact, they're uh, competing against each other who's going to be more hawkish than the other. <laughs> and that they're completely out of touch with realities. And I, I, I stopped criticizing. I'm just, uh, you know, laughing. It's, it's ridiculous to, to say that. But um, talking about the EU summit and the position, I think we need to understand that this result was uh, mainly by multiple factors. I think number one is the involvement of the US. After Trump, Mr. Biden is uh, trying to uh, restore the American foreign policy in Europe, in, in different parts of the world, outside USA as a whole. And I think this was one of the reasons that this result was like this. And probably Americans um, told uh, the Europeans, like, let us look after this. And I think number two is uh, because the talks between Greece and Turkey are still ongoing. And I think this is just another reason that they did not severe the relations with Turkey. And uh, maybe a small factor is five plus one is coming up. I don't think that is the main reason, but still, you know, it's a combination of many factors. And of course, uh, there is this general tendency of the Europeans uh, <laughs> as a whole, always to postpone decisions. And they don't have a very sharp foreign policy planning and implementation. We all know that they always want to keep everybody happy because it's always a negotiated outcome. So You're I think... kind on them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I use my cynicism against the Turkish Cypriots, so <laughs> I'm trying to be more kinder when it comes to the EU this time. We have criticized the EU in the past, so I use my <laughs> joker on, on, on the Turkish Cypriots this time. Talking about America, I think we need to open a little chapter on that as well. After Mr. Trump, U.S. primary uh, foreign policy objective is to contain Russia. And everything is shaped around this policy, as far as I can see. They are also trying to restore what uh, Mr. Trump damaged. And they are trying to, uh, because the State Department lost uh, experienced diplomats when Mr. Trump was in power. And now they're trying to bring people back on board and then trying to make sure that they are, they are having more say in the world affairs, especially when it comes to issues relevant to Russia. And when I say Russia, I think Mr. Biden also has a personal grudge against Putin because of how Putin got involved in the American elections. But we also know that um, Russians are involved in almost in every uh, election in, in West. In Europe, in America, um, the, the Russian teams, the trolls, the social media groups, they're always um, uh, paying money to the extremist groups to destabilize uh, the uh, Western countries. And everybody's aware of it. And then I think the, the latest reaction by Mr. Biden against, uh, personally, actually, even against Trump and, and Russia was uh, making things even more difficult for American-Russian relations. I read a statement uh, that uh, Russians said that they are pulling out from this uh, uh, involvement with NATO. Um, and then they said that this is all-time low uh, when it comes to American-Russian relations. So why, we, why did we discuss American-Russian relations? Because it's relevant to us. Because East Met is one of the areas that Americans will want to restore their influence on. Of course, when it comes to Turkish-American relations, S-400s and also 
Turkey's involvement with Russia in other parts of the world, especially in, in Syria, in Libya. So these are the areas that Americans are probably trying to, let's say, exert their influence on Turkey. Exactly the same way you explained by using carrot and stick. So in a way, they are protecting them <laughs> against a, a possible European wrath and attack. But internally, probably, as Mr. Chavushol and the other they explained that they're cornering them when it comes to S-400. So East Met is one of the areas that Americans will probably push Turks, and uh, and Cyprus is an important element uh, of it. And uh, how do you see the, the, the this, this link, Andromahi, this international framework? No, I totally agree with you on the fact that it is clear that the U.S. president has shown that he has prioritized the issue of Russia in a way that we didn't see it um, during the reign of his predecessor. Having said that, though, I remember in one of our uh, podcasts for 2020, uh, when we were thinking about what 2021 would bring, I remember us mentioning the uh, intense domestic issues that Biden would have to face. And uh, if you remember, we were sort of a bit tacit in stating that the U.S. will engage vigorously with the Eastern Mediterranean. And I must say that we are still to see the stigma of uh, the U.S. new presidency regarding the Eastern Mediterranean. I agree with your description of what takes place um, regarding the relationship between the U.S., Russia and Turkey, but I'm still not clear as to how the East Med chip will play in this game, basically. And I think that the U.S. president himself has still not shown that this will be a priority in any way. So we are yet to see under which uh, spectrum the Cyprus problem will fall. Having said that, in a statement the A few days ago, Joe Biden said that his involvement with the Cyprus problem is not over yet. He said it to a group of uh, Greeks and Greek Cypriots in the U.S. I think uh, on this issue, we are yet to see what will happen. When I said that Americans are trying to restore the uh, foreign uh, policy targets and also the the State Department itself, Mr. Uh, Matthew Palmer, who used to be in Cyprus in uh, early 2000, is now in charge of the department's uh, Eurasia policies uh, and in that area. And I think uh, this is yet another example how informed diplomats will be getting involved. But I agree with you in the sense that they are still uh, shaping it. It's taking uh, more time, mainly because there was no continuity from the previous administration. And I think they're reassessing uh, everything from the scratch. And of course, they have their own internal problems regarding the virus and uh, Black Lives Matter. They need to make sure that the, the divided American society is at uh, least trying to focus on, on their traditional uh, discussion issues. But in the meantime, five plus one is coming up. A reasonable person should not expect something drastic out of this. But let's go technically. What are the possible outcomes of uh, upcoming five plus one? I think one of the possible outcomes is uh, confirmation of the collapse. I mean, if Turkish and Turkish Cypriot side insist on the two-state policy as they publicly say it, and if they actually pursue this and they don't really change their position, 
it is going to collapse. And this means that Secretary General will go back to the UN Security Council and report that, okay, this failed and this is the situation. But I don't think that this is going to happen, mainly because of the, the reasons that we just explained. I think the big powers are involved, the, the Brits are involved, albeit their success can be will be seen. Uh, Americans are involved. UN is trying to save face. Uh, so everybody is trying to do something. Another possible outcome is that they might uh, agree on a new uh, framework to resume talks. And I think this is overly optimistic, even for me. So I don't uh, see this happening. A more possible outcome would probably be that the sides will agree to continue the discussion to agree on how to start the talks. And in the meantime, probably they might implement some confidence-building measures in parallel, set up a new date and uh, put things on, on hold. And in the meantime, try to see what's going on in other policy areas. And then in June, there will be another EU summit. So this is probably one of the possible, uh, most possible outcome that will be coming up. Of course, we have to remember that sometimes you and I, we uh, pol- political animals uh, or everybody who's dealing with politics uh, make this uh, assumption that, you know, the countries, the administrations make some uh, reasonable and rational decisions. And this is not the case. <laughs> sometimes the decision makers make up their minds for internal issues. It, it's, it's a combination of many factors, like in Turkey, for example. Things are very fragile at the moment. On one hand, Mr. Erdogan, a few weeks ago, explained that uh, a new democracy package is, is, is coming up. But in fact, I don't think that Turkey's issue is about the, the rules and policies. It's all about implementation. It's how the, the system is broken in Turkey. And of course, uh, the parties in Turkey have started to prepare for the upcoming presidential election in Turkey. On one hand, Mr. Erdogan needs every little single nationalist vote from their coalition partners because there is no way that he can change uh, coalitions anymore. Nobody will believe him anymore. The the reason why he wants to close down uh, the Kurdish uh, backing party, uh, the HDP, uh, because I think uh, he's hoping that the Kurdish voters will lose their interest into the system and then they will stop voting. And this will bring him a few percent extra uh, advantage. And, and this could be one of the reasons. So as you see, everything is now uh, related with the Cyprus problem. The Cyprus pr- problem itself is, is not a priority. I mean, it's, it's a little chip in everybody's game. And we have been saying this for a very long time. Exactly. I, I agree with your analysis. I, I don't believe in the collapse of the process. Um, but at the same time, I believe that there is an understanding that the issue cannot continue for so long. Uh, the, there is a need for some sort of closure. Closure does not necessarily mean uh, a solution, obviously. Uh, closure could mean uh, some drastic confidence-building measures that would in some way upgrade the status of the Turkish Cypriot community, but not reach full recognition, but be big enough in order to, you know, calm the desires of the Turkish Cypriots for the time being without upsetting the balance that exists totally. 
I, I believe with your analysis that your third option is the most likely one. I, I would think that the United Nations will give uh, some sort of reflection period on the parties until I would estimate around July during the summer for them to see whether they can recommence the negotiations. I would bet on the fact that there's not going to be a collapse in, in April, but at the same time, there's not going to be some major breakthrough either, uh, or, or at least that would be a, a very, very big surprise. I, I don't think that the Republic of Cyprus government is in a position to move to such a breakthrough, to be honest. In a number of opinion polls that have appeared lately, it has become evident that uh, the Anastasiadis government is, an, is at an all-time low when it comes to its credibility and its appeal to the public. The government, in an unprecedented way, is being criticized by the, the public that its handling of any issue basically is not satisfactory and this is the first time that this happens uh, during the Anastasiadis presidency. So imagine if the all-powerful Anastasiadis that existed back in 2017 and during the Grand Montana time, if that man did not manage to reach a solution in Grand Montana, I cannot see how disgraced, more or less, Anastasiadis, at least when it comes to how the domestic public sees him, will be able to move to such a breakthrough uh, that is currently needed when it comes to the Cyprus problem. His credibility at home is very low. And I honestly do not believe that he has the political capital to push for such a thing of, of this gravity at this moment. So I believe that the parties will get an extension, let's say, in April. But I think the clock is ticking for some sort of closure. And I don't think that people on the ground will like it, <laughs> including um. us, huh? <laughs> So when it comes to me being optimist, you being pessimist, we are not uh, surprising our uh, listeners, except that I'm not very optimist myself this time. Maybe you have some good news. Well, yes, I, I, I do have two good news to share with you and with our listeners today. So on the one hand, we have the first delivery of rapid tests to the Turkish Cypriot community. These are rapid tests that the Republic of Cyprus uh, got from the European Union directly. And uh, 75,000 tests were given to the Turkish Cypriot community. As we know, the Turkish Cypriot community is not using rapid tests. So um, what do you think? The, the fact that rabbit tests have now reached the north, do you think that we could hope that there will be some sort of decision, at least on the crossing points, to be accepting the rabbit tests as well? This is just another example that uh, if there is a will, then there is a way. And, uh, you know, a reasonable person would tell you that if Cyprus is one country, you should find ways to at least uh, make sure that the crossings resume, maybe not as as it used to be initially, but uh, some sort of uh, relaxed measures could be implemented uh, and uh, rapid tests are being implemented everywhere uh, to the south of the, the Green Line. And then why don't we uh, implement it on the Green Line and in the north as well to make sure that at least, uh, you know, uh, 
give a positive message and the possibility of making uh, the, the crossings possible. And I think it is possible. And I think that, yes, people are afraid. I'm afraid. You are afraid. Everybody's afraid that this, this pandemic could be, could be uh, you know, dangerous to the, you know, public health. But why don't you try to find ways uh, in the sense that uh, we want to live in a, in a normal country and whatever is left from this uh, normal idea, of course. No, I, I fully agree with you. And, uh, well, at least there is another piece of good news. We have the protected designation of origin for uh, Halumi Helim. The status will be uh, granted by the European Commission, uh, as it appeared uh, today. And this has been going on for years, I'm sure you know. I think we should discuss this in another episode and I think we will have things to discuss because we will discuss how the Green Line regulation will be amended because of this and we will discuss the reactions by the cheesemakers on the island uh, who are actually, at least in the South, they are already protesting the the granting of uh, the PDO status. Also uh, in the north, Andromahi, it's it's funny how people <laughs> unite their forces when it comes to something progressive. <laughs> and uh, the real, I mean, no, no, really. I mean, I used to work for the chamber of uh, Turkey Cypriot Chamber of Commerce in the past, so I happen to have some involvement in in this kind of stuff and the green line. So yes, maybe in another well, program we talk more. For once, the complaints do not have uh, to do with nationalistic reasons, though they have to do with should, profit should reasons. We be But I think we should discuss this in in the next uh, episode. Having said that, um, and before we close, I would tell our listeners about our next uh, podcast episode. I think it's uh, it's something that has been discussed a lot a lot on the whole of the island, and I'm very happy that uh, we will have this discussion. Tell us a bit about that. Yes. Uh, Sertaç Sonan, who is an academic, a Turkish Cypriot academic, which, uh, and who happened to be uh, doing a podcast in Turkish on Island Talks uh, with me, a good friend of mine as well, with two of his uh, students, PhD students, um, they actually um, released a, a report uh, on the political culture in in the North and the difference between uh, the, the Turkish Cypriots and migrants uh, and, and, and Turkish uh, people who, who came to Cyprus after 74. And it created a lot of, uh, let's say, resentment. And on, it also brought many interesting discussions into the light. And I think it will be good to have him on, on the program and then uh, discuss uh, the findings with him because... Uh, he will tell us some interesting stories and and then findings uh, apart from what everybody heard. And uh, we'll put an end to misconceptions and basically give us the context, the context that is missing from uh, the discussion at the moment. So uh, stay tuned for this uh, discussion. So this means Andromahi that will be uh, doing two programs uh, in a short period of time uh, to uh, cover up for uh, the the time that we haven't uh, done. A program for some time already and uh, we'll be we'll be with you very soon again thanks for being with us thank you